we ran it on QI a few years ago. Yeah. Um, which was, there's no such thing as a fish. Yeah, there's no such thing as a fish. No, seriously, it's in the Oxford Dictionary of Underwater Life. It says it right there, first paragraph, no such thing as a fish. <laughs> And welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covered Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with James Harkin, Andy Murray, and Anna Chazinski. And once again, we have gathered around the microphone with our four favorite and spooky facts from the last seven days for this, our Halloween special. And in no particular order, here we go. Okay, fact number one, Andy. My fact is that until the year 635 AD, Halloween was on the 12th of May. Hmm. Hmm. Why was it on the 12th of May and why did we change it? Well, it's only really on the 12th of May because Halloween is the day before All Saints Day. Yeah. Um, I was under the impression that that was the 1st of November. Yes. Well, basically Halloween is part of the All Hallowtide Festival. Uh, That's three days, which is All Hallows' Eve, which we call Halloween, uh, All Hallows' Day, or All Saints' Day, and All Souls' Day. It was introduced in 609 AD, but it was on the 13th of May, and everyone would travel to Rome and do pilgrimages there. But in 835, Gregory IV, who was then the Pope, said that it should become the 1st of November, and we're not really sure why. There is a theory that it was because it was sort of a way of um, adopting other religions or other traditional rites and make, folding them into the church. Because there already was a kind yeah. of a middle of autumn Yeah, festival. it's called Samhain, and it was the festival of the beginning of winter, and there was a lot of death around in the air, and that's what people said. Also, autumn is just a spookier time. Spring mm. isn't a spooky time. That's when life starts to happen and the sun's coming out. Except that. when people Autumn's used to spooky. Vi- well, when people used to visit Rome, there is a theory that it was moved to autumn because when so many people visited Rome, everyone got malaria. Which is itself yeah. quite a spooky, ah. zombie-like thing yeah. to happen yeah. to all hordes of pilgrims. So, But it, did, it used to be, because obviously we've transformed it into a time of the undead and yeah. and all that stuff. Like, it wasn't really about Was it undead. as spooky back then? No, yeah, no. so that might be why it might have been nice in May. Yeah. Um, there are amazing Halloween traditions which sort of evolved from the whole remember the dead thing. So trick-or-treating came from souling. It was originally not just children, it was poor people and children. You would go door-to-door praying for people dead people in exchange for cake. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yeah. I've heard some other ideas about where trick or treat came yeah, from. Yeah, me too. Yeah, That's a debate. So, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so here's one. For instance, they had mischief night in Leeds and Bradford in Yorkshire, mm-hmm. uh, and the children would go around causing trouble, and the authorities would just let them off, and they say, it's nobbit but th- mischief night. Oh, okay. Um, there was also um, a thing called Hop to Nah in the Isle of Man, mm. Uh, and that had people wandering around armed with bits of turnip, singing in Manx and demanding cash. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea is that these guys from like Yorkshire or Isle of Man or Ireland or Scotland had all gone over to America w- during the, you know, mm. whenever that was. And that's they brought it there and then it's come back over here. That's that's one theory behind trick or treat. Cool. Well, I thought it was a I think it was originally a German tradition, but it was popular in uh, Pennsylvanian Dutch communities oh, in yeah. America up until the early 20th century. There are first hand accounts of it and it's called bell snickling, which I think it should be because it's just a good name. But it was a Christmas tradition. and It happened on Christmas Eve, but it's so similar. So basically uh, the teenagers of the community would dress up as various different uh, characters, fictional characters, and they go around 
around kids' houses and they'd scare the kids and the kids would have to guess what they were dressed up as and if they guessed right, they got a sweet. Uh, so basically there's lots of different theories to trick-or-treats. It's probably just something that builds up all over the world. Yeah. Like It's an obvious thing, isn't it? One night a year you go a bit crazy. Yeah, like the um, like the Purge, that movie. <laughs> like the movie The Purge. Mm. <laughs> um, so bobbing for apples is Halloween tradition now, obviously. It seems like it should be more of a Valentine's Day tradition. So it was a way of people selecting a future husband. So each apple would be dropped in water and assigned a man's name. And then a bunch of women would rock up, plunge their faces into the water oh. and the apple that they bit. If they bit the apple the first time, then they'd marry the man and live happily ever after. If they bit the apple successfully the second time, then he would court her, but their love would fade. And oh. if they bit the apple the third time, the relationship was doomed. Oh. But it used to be that. Um, is it called bobbing for apples because the name of the man you might marry would be Bob? Be Bob. It was possibly. always Bob, yeah. Only people called Bob <laughs> All could attend. Were called Bob. It sounds like swinging, you know, when you throw your car keys into a hat, but with more commitment. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> does it feels like, that, like. It? <laughs> It's weird because Halloween has turned in these days into a scaremongering time where everyone thinks bobbing for apples were filled with razor blades and oh and, yeah and a big scare wasn't it it was a big scare yeah yeah and, and just general you know like you got to watch out now and it's not safe to be on the streets um that portends badly for the relationship doesn't it if the apple you've bobbed into the man's name is full of razor blades that pierce <laughs> yeah. your mouth <laughs> but i got it first time so i'm sure the marriage will be successful <laughs> Um, have you guys heard of a singer called Keisha? Yes. yes. Yeah. Spelt with a dollar sign in her yeah. name. Yes. Okay, cool, because I read something about her, but I just wanted to check people have heard of her. I hadn't. Uh, she has a song called Supernatural. Yeah. Do you know what that's about? Um, ghosts? It's about her having sex with a ghost, her experience having sex with oh. ghosts, which she does um, on a semi-regular basis, apparently. She once had to go to a um, hypnotherapist who told her that she had dead people living in her body and specifically in her nether regions. And so she had to have her vagina exercised. Oh. And uh, the song Sorry, Supernatural... Exorcised. yeah. It's yeah. Keisha's new DVD <laughs> following the footsteps of Davina McCall. There's a word for someone, for the ghost that has sex with people, but I can't remember what it is. Succubus. Yeah. Succubus, yeah. Or an incubus. Or an incubus. Yeah. Are they the female and male versions? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That happens in Ghostbusters. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I Go saw on. a bus yesterday which had ghost bus tours written on it, which I think is an amazingly good way of doing it because they do ghost bus tours. It's better than calling it suck your bus. <laughs> 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 um, just quickly on the, the night terrors and being assaulted by uh, ghosts in your sleep, uh, there's a folklorist, David Hufford, who estimates that 15% of people will experience that at some point in their lives. Wow. Um, so don't, genuinely, don't feel bad if you've had it. It's there's one thing normal. where you're kind of just kind of on the verge of waking up or on the verge of going to sleep and your consciousness comes back but your body's still asleep and so you can't really sit up and you kind of get a bit of a terror that you can't sit up. I think that's quite a common thing. Yeah, it is. And people believe that it, like, it's like people believe it's oh, the they're being held down, them down by but ghosts, it's because yeah. the consciousness has come back before the body has woken up properly. That's right. Wow. I had that at uni. It's Did absolutely you? terrifying. Yeah. yeah. So do you know what the number one Halloween costume is? Uh, what is no, the most popular? Uh, a witch, still. Yeah. What? I thought it was going to be something really surprising. Like, it's actually Isn't Prince Isn't that Harry. surprising? Yeah, but I thought it would be, like, I don't know, a superhero costume, but like Spider-Man. What I find or... weird, there's a list online of the most popular ones, isn't there? In America, this is. And there are seven million uh, children dressed as witches in America this year, they think. And there's going to be 5.8 million princesses, which is the second most. But uh, how's Not that scary? scary. Yeah. <laughs> the, well, there's a theory that the costumes comes from this tradition, which was in the Middle Ages, where churches would display their relics for um, all... All Hallow's Eve 
Eve and All Hallows Day. But if they didn't have any, they would let the parishioners dress up as the saints instead. Oh, how cool is that? Which saint would you dress up as, Andy? Um, I don't know, Saint Jerome? Oh yeah, what did he look like? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if I dress up as Saint Martin of Tours, would I be allowed to do what he did, which was he went around exercising people and one of the ways he did that was to push his hand down their throat and push the spirit out of their anus? Oh, he's going the wrong way about it if he's trying to exercise Keisha, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently there's a quote which is something like, um, uh, the spirit left a muddy, filthy trail behind it as it left. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that witches used broomsticks to put hallucinogenic drugs up their bums. What? turns out that a lot of historians suggest that the imagery itself is actually representative of what they were going through, which is that they used to do hallucinogenic drugs. And the tripping and the flying that they used to do was actually flight of the mind. It was stuff going on inside their head. And it was all just one big drug trip, which is insane. A drug called Datura, a European drug that you could get, which was a hallucinogenic. And they just used to go through their mental landscape. And the flying bit of it is just representative of what they were going through in their heads. I suppose that's more logical than them actually flying. Yeah. What about the broom? Well, okay. <laughs> the broom was uh, a way of applying the Datura drug, which uh, it was an application device for the bum. Oh, wow. Oh. A suppository. A suppository. So all the imagery that you see is not them flying on a broom. It is using the broom as a suppository for the drug. <laughs> a guy called Jordan de Bergamo um, in the 15th century, who was made one up. of the guys who, really ro- made up. <laughs> who, who wrote about it, said they anointed the staff and then anointed themselves under the arms or in other hairy places. Mm. Which is the another head. way one could refer to it. Yeah, head, yeah, exactly what he meant. Um, yeah, so I, I just like that. I like that because everyone dresses up as a witch and they have an impression of why they're dressing up as it and it turns out there's a whole different connotation to what so they're... So do we think this is definitely true about the broomstick? Because there must be some other theories about why they yeah I, I i so i found this out via a ethnobiologist called wade davis oh yeah he's a guy who's who's made extraordinary adventures he's written great books and this was just a passage inside this book the book was actually about zombies on a trip that he did to haiti he went to five separate villages and in those villages they all use the same combinations of things to create this thing where people were cited as being supposedly yeah. uh, being zombies so his idea is that he did discover what makes zombies in Haiti, and it's this potion. I like the idea on potions. That um, So I was reading about, in 16th century Spain, this physician. He raided a house, basically, which was occupied by what they thought was witches, and he confiscated from it a pot full of a certain green ointment composed of herbs such as hemlock, nightshade, henbane, and mandrake from a home of a couple of hues of witchcraft. And I just like the idea that that's a 16th century drugs raid, is yeah. you said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got some mandrake, uh, some hemlock under the bed. <laughs> the first woman in Germany to run a post office was burned as a witch. Oh, was she? Was yeah. it for running a post office? No, was it it for was... raising the price of stamps. Uh, no, she was called uh, Katerina Hennot, uh, or Henno, um, and no, she was she was just um, a big member of the community, and then she got accused of being a witch, as they often did. Uh, and then she was burned, unfortunately. There's an extraordinary number of witches or alleged witches who were killed in Europe in the 15th to 18th centuries. Is it 50,000? Yeah, something wow. like that. 
But like the Salem witch trials, that mm. basically came as just someone accusing someone else and then it went bigger and bigger and bigger. But it ended when um, the wife of the mayor or something like that got accused of being a witch and then suddenly the mayor went, oh, this is all rubbish. <laughs> you guys stop it. But until then, the authorities had kind of agreed to it all. And then as soon as like one of the wives of the main guys in the town that was is. accused, then suddenly they were like, nope, no, yep, definitely not true. Bloody and, politicians. I know. Um, um, they still, uh, in Papua New Guinea, there's still a tradition of kind of hunting down witches and accusing people of witchcraft, and that's mainly focused on men at the moment, apparently, or quite, oh, has quite a heavy focus on men. Yeah. And also, when I was reading about this, I learned the difference between witchcraft and sorcery, which does make total sense. Uh, but okay. what would you guess it was? Men and women. No, it's witchcraft is something that you are born with, that you have a gift inside you. And sorcery, mm. you can learn. So we could all be sorcerers, ah. but only, only I am a witch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One way of finding out if someone was a witch in Africa um, was administering poison to a chicken, then mentioning the name of a suspected witch. If the chicken dies, then the suspect is a witch. Which it might be because the suspect is a witch, or it might be because you've just poisoned it. Wow. That's a stacked legal system you've got exactly. there. Yeah. yeah. In the 19th century, uh, there was a chicken that kept on laying eggs saying that Christ was coming and the end of the world was nigh. Um, and everyone got really panicked by this for a while. It was in, So it was written on the eggs. And eventually a guy went to investigate it and it turned out that it was being written on the eggs and then they were being shoved back up inside this <laughs> oh poor God, chicken. Oh, reverse exorcism. It was being forced to lay them again. Insorcism. Have you heard of witch bottles? You would, you would bury them. This was in the 16th and 17th centuries. Uh, you would bury them them to ward off witches basically oh. and um, you would fill up an ordinary bottle with uh, with hair and urine and pins okay and ah. that was the person you wanted to protect uh, you would put their urine in and it would throw any spell they cast back on you and they keep finding these things buried all over the place that's weird isn't it because that's almost like a spell in itself isn't it yeah, so you're actually, almost yeah. doing your own little bit of witchcraft to yeah. get rid of the witch, which yeah. kind of makes you a witch as well. Yeah. Oh no, it's a never-ending cycle. Eventually, we'll all be witches. Yeah, the um, pins are quite important to witches. Um, they right. they use them a lot in their in their spells. Oh, really? um, the Pendle witches, uh, who are from my neck of the woods, they were found to be witches because one of them went to town to try and uh, procure some pins because they needed them for the spells. Um, asked this guy for some pins he said no he walked away she swore at him or something he then had a stroke or a heart attack and they thought that she'd caused it uh, uh, and then wow. that's why they all got caught and then hanged for being a witch Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, brooms traditionally used in marriage ceremonies um, in a lot of cultures because one end represents the uh, phallic kind of male end and one end is the, the bristly female end. But oh. also the youngest person to get a patent on something is a little boy who's got a patent on a double-headed broomstick and it's Sam Hofton of Buxton in Derbyshire. Oh. He was three years old when he came up with it and oh. by chance his father was a patent lawyer. So... <laughs> Time for fact number three, and that is Chazinski. Yeah, my fact is that the woman who played the voice of Reagan in The Exorcist only agreed to play the part on the grounds that she had two priests in her sound booth at all times, could be constantly drinking whiskey, chain-smoking cigarettes, and eating raw eggs. Coincidentally, very similar to Anna's rider for all no such thing as official recording sessions. We just haven't mentioned Grigori and yeah. Samuel. Hating boys. Priests. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, she had a majorly raspy 
angry voice in there. But yeah. why the priests? Well, because so she decided that, yeah, as you say, she wanted to do the whiskey and the cigarettes and the raw eggs because she thought that that would give her the right voice. But she was an alcoholic and she had, was dry. And so, <laughs> so she decided... Was, just... was she also addicted to raw eggs and priests? She was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she thought the priest what? should monitor her because uh, so to make sure so that she the... wasn't falling off the wagon in the process so... of drinking the whiskey. Oh, they weren't there to kind of exercise any demons... Well, that's what I thought. I yeah. thought presumably it was because of spiritual. So concerns. I've read both, but the either the director or the producer, I can't remember who, just had an interview where he said that it was because she was an alcoholic. But oh. then I have also read that it might be because she wanted to make sure no evil spirits got into her while she was playing the part. But yeah, Warner Brothers, who we were talking about last week, failed oh, yeah. to credit her for voicing her in The Exorcist. Well, it sounded like, uh, from what I read, she didn't want to be credited initially because she just thought, oh, I'm just doing a voicing, and it was such a popular movie. In fact, I think still to this day, uh, it was the highest, highest grossing film of the time that they that Warner oh, Brothers wow. had. I think adjusted for inflation. That's yeah, adjusted for inflation that was the highest grossing film that they had. So I think as soon as that happened, she suddenly wanted to be credited. Oh, um, yeah. You know the scene where the girl's neck spins around and snaps back into place? Yeah. Yes. You know that sort of sound of her neck creaking around? It was actually made by the director's wallet. He had a cracked leather wallet and he just sort of twisted it around near the microphone and that made this extraordinary I just love the idea sound. that he's such a cheapskate that whenever he yeah. opens his wallet it makes his creaky sound. <laughs> and the shot of the cobwebs close up, that was inside there. He used to, the director used to, in order to achieve the requisite levels of fear on the faces of the actors, used to fire guns during filming at certain points. <laughs> I do, I he just do, fired a blank. I could never tell if this stuff is true when you read this about movies. Yeah. He was interviewed. They, yeah, I know, but he like, said he did it. You, okay, in Scream, Drew Barrymore. This is the opening scene in Scream. Uh, if you remember the movie where she's chased and she becomes the first victim of the uh, of the villain. Um, apparently, in order to keep her scared on set, Wes Craven would go around telling her stories of animals being harmed because she loved <laughs> oh, animals, yeah. and that would put the fear in her. Bring it's like no, she's an actor; she knows how to act scared. It's kind of insulting to the actors a little bit, isn't yeah, it? It's like, oh, you can't do a scared face. I'm going to have to pretend to shoot you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in Alien, the famous spoiler alert, chest bursting scene, the actors weren't told about it beforehand. And I think oh. I've read a bit more. I think they were told, but not in detail. They weren't told exactly how horrible it was going to be. And they did use four cameras for the take. So they got to see the real, the real sort of horror on the face yeah. of the actors reacting. So. The, well, there's another one in, in the Alien movie, which is that um, they needed a shot of a cat looking scared. Apparently, it wasn't scary enough for someone in an alien costume to be there. So yeah. what they had was they had a screen down with the cat sitting there as the camera's filming it, lifted the screen, and there was a dog sitting there. And they didn't tell the cat <laughs> that there was going to be a dog. That's kind of insulting to the cat, yeah. saying that he can't <laughs> act properly. Yeah, it's true. Um, the Exorcist wouldn't have been written if it weren't for Groucho Marx. I really? Don't think. Yeah, who wrote it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, little known fact. Interesting. Actually, the guy who did write, write it had only ever written comedy before. Um, really? And then wrote The Exorcist. But uh, he, so he's called William Blatty, and he went on this show called You Bet Your Life, which oh. was hosted by oh, Groucho Marx. Marx yeah. yeah, and he won ten thousand dollars, which allowed him to take some time off more grueling work and write no. The Exorcist. That's yeah. cool. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, worked on an airline booking uh, desk 
maybe or maybe she was sort of managing an airline booking outfit and then she was given a sabbatical by her employers and that's when she wrote to kill a mockingbird wasn't kafka just a clerk and then he just used to go home and write and stuff like that i always yeah, love that yeah. idea of these great writers actually doing other normal yeah. jobs yeah oh, writing yeah, in their spare a, time there's yeah. a thing in the the latest uh, fact book we've just done which is that there are 500 references to jeffrey chaucer in his lifetime which is a huge number for someone living yeah. at that time yeah not one of them says that he's a writer no. It's always he other stuff. He was a spy, stuff. wasn't he, or something? Was he? I think so. Oh, he's a good one, then. <laughs> I did not get You that. haven't read The Spy's Tale. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jack Nicholson was a firefighter, and in The Shining, when there's that really famous scene in The Shining, if you've seen it, where he has to hack down the door with an axe. The props guys originally made a, do- a prop door that was really easy to hack down, and because even a firefighter, he hacked it down too easily, so they had to get an actual door put in for him to hack down oh. with, because he was too he was supermanly too and strong. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's cool. What a cool guy. I have a thing about E.T. Um, E.T. was originally conceived of as a horror movie. Was it? Yeah. It was after Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, Spielberg wanted to do more more alien stuff, um, but he wanted to do something darker and more threatening than Close Encounters, and so he commissioned a script, and it featured aliens who could kill you just with one long bony finger. Remember E.T.'s uh-huh. finger? And they made a load of prototypes of the, the models of it, and they basically looked like evil ETs. You know how in Gremlins the bad Mogwais look a bit like yeah. the good mm-hmm. one? Um, that's basically... And then did they realise that Drew Barrymore was incapable of doing the requisite scared face, <laughs> so they had to change so it. So Steven Spielberg came in and said animals are being attacked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you one quick thing about exorcisms? Please Sorry, do. Yeah. We've got to move on shortly. But th- so this is the thing. The, the Catholic Church still has five or six hundred exorcists, official ones, um, one of them, uh, Gabriel Amorth, is the, the kingpin of them. He's supposedly done 100,000. He used to do 20 a day. Wow. 20 uh, but, a day? Yeah, but they... they, they That's they, a lot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but you can rattle through them quite They're fast. They're easier than you think, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> they are. True. Katie Brand, the comedian, she used to do them. Really? Did yeah. she? Yeah, oh. Katie Brand used to be a part of a church, and one wow. of the things that she used to do was uh, demon oh, yeah. exercising. Did also, she do the, the most... hand down the throat version, or was it? <laughs> I think it was, was it more. The book and the what do you have? The I think you just bell, and bell a... book, and candle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think also it's a lot of yelling, like the power of Christ compels you. It's that sort of stuff, yeah. and people are talking in tongues, and yeah. Saint Hilarion used to, could exercise up to four hundred people at the same time, so I think you can do them ensemble wow. if you're very good. She also once exercised a camel. It's amazing. Um, so I just wanted to tell you one thing I found from a, an article about these exorcism conferences the church has um, during the conference the reverend Cesar Trucui an exorcist based in Switzerland recounted one experience he had aboard a Swiss air flight two lesbians he said had sat behind him on the plane soon afterwards he said he felt Satan's presence as he silently sought to repel the evil spirit through prayer one of the women he said began growling demonically and threw chocolates at his head <laughs> <laughs> typical <laughs> demon behaviour <laughs> asked how he knew the woman was possessed he said once you hear a satanic growl, you never forget it. It's like smelling margarita pizza for the first time. It's something you never forget. <laughs> margarita pizza. Do you know what the first ever horror film was? Oh, yeah. It was in 1890. No, it wasn't. It was before that. It was a, it was a George Melia's um, yeah. oh, movie. Really? Yeah, it was, it was like the... two minutes long, wasn't it? Yeah, it was about two minutes long. And, and um, he followed it up with another movie. So it was called, I think the first one was called The Haunted Castle. Yeah. Um, second one was second one was three minutes long and everyone said, no, they've gone overboard this time. <laughs> yeah. This, this... <laughs> I'm glad I can't take it. <laughs> yeah. this, so uh, the, the second movie, this was the plot. A man tries to go to sleep but is disturbed by a giant bug climbing up the bed onto his wall. He attacks the bug with a broom and disposes of it in a chamber pot in a compartment of his bedside table. 
and that was it. That's the second <laughs> horror movie ever made. Third horror movie ever made was a remaking of The Haunted Hotel by George Melliot <laughs> by another group of people. That's, That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. And Nosferatu, um, that was the first version of Dracula, but the first movie to have the name Dracula on it was in the, I believe, in the 20s. They did this really interesting thing where they made um, Dracula by in the daytime, the English version, and a Spanish film crew came in at night used all the same sets and made a spanish version of dracula so they made it in tandem which seems like a really great idea they were using the same sets but they were using totally different But also it means that the whole of the british one has to be set during the daytime which is probably not when dracula only came out at night doesn't get out much so yeah exactly it's just a guy he keeps intimating that he has a secret at night but we never see what it is Um, the actor who played him, Bella Lugosi. Oh, yeah. But he was buried in the cape that he wore in the Dracula movie. Was he? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just a nice little... It was the yeah. first time, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, time for the final fact of the show. James. Okay, my fact is that the secret of youth is drinking youngsters' blood. Great thing to be condoning on our podcast. We should also mention that next to Anna's two priests are some youngsters for James. <laughs> <laughs> worried. Open brackets, if you're a mouse, close brackets. And they're also mice. Sorry, I should have said that. <laughs> um, so these are some studies done quite recently um, where they've transplanted uh, young mice blood into older mice. And they've um, reversed some of the signs of ageing in these mice. What signs? They stop um, being racist and stuff. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's yes. really incredible. No, it is amazing. Uh, they're not quite sure why. They think there might be some some compounds in there which which help you. But it's um, like muscle mass. Um, it's the brain tissue. It's it's all sorts of all sorts of things. Wow. Probably won't work in humans. Just for Why a that? disclaimer. But worth a try. Because <laughs> <Is that, laughs> of the ethics committee. Or... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you couldn't really do it, could you? But I don't think there's any evidence that it works in humans. Very good. I'll do it. Yeah? You're younger than me. Yep. <laughs> oh, no, damn it. <laughs> Remember there was the theory that the Queen Mother was constantly having... No, I've blood. not heard that theory. Get out. Of course you've heard that. No, I really haven't. Dan, remember, it, we Dan. move in different circles yeah. to you. <laughs> no, there was the big... Dan moves in different crop circles to us. <laughs> <laughs> it was the big thing that the, that the Queen... Uh, the Queen Mother... The reason she was able to stay old and alive alive being the main one, uh, was that she used to have blood of the young. <laughs> I don't know. I've genuinely I, never heard that. I, know. I don't think any normal people have. Well, the Queen Mother, there is a headline from the Telegraph, Queen Mother is given eight-hour blood transfusion, which is when she was 101. But it was... Um, it was to help her recover from uh, anemia which she had. She wasn't personally biting into the necks of youngsters yeah, and sucking it. It was a medical, no, procedure. No, it's it's a medical procedure. You're yeah. looking on the wrong site, mate, because davidike.com <laughs> clearly says... People did used to uh, try blood transfusions, doctors, didn't they, before yeah. it was in any way a safe or sensible thing to do and for, yeah. for weird stuff. Like, I think uh, Louis XIV's personal physician, Jean-Baptiste Denis, uh, used to inf- do blood transfusions to various people for various things, infuse the same guy with calf's blood twice because he was suffering from a mental illness, and he had various symptoms after this, like um, vomiting, passing black urine, etc. But for some reason, he agreed to a th- 
third attempt, at which point he died from the blood transfusion, because obviously it was incredibly unsafe in those yeah. days. And, and they didn't and, know about blood types and stuff no, like that. No, no. Um, but it turned out, so then he was accused of killing the guy, and then they've tested his blood since, the guy who died, and it's turned out that he was poisoned by arsenic, probably murdered by his wife, who oh. obviously saw an opportunity, oh. thought, uh, you'll yeah. probably get this blamed on that doctor, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first documented... Um, case of any kind of transfusion was uh, by Pope Innocent VIII. He was a 15th century pope. Um, He was supposedly given the blood of three 10-year-old boys, but he took it by mouth. He didn't transfuse it into his blood. drank the blood. Yeah, and also, it's not that maybe it's not true and it's just like anti-papal hysteria. Um, But that's the first written evidence we have of anyone taking someone else's blood. Love his name, Pope Innocent. Yeah. Yeah. Making a suggestion. That's not an anti-papal name, is it? Pope Pope Guilty, they called him. In really witty circles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I do mix in those witty circle yeah. <laughs> yeah. James is a joke writer for the Protestant society <laughs> um, I, I read a bit more about this mouse experiment that oh yeah really, so the um, the young mice that they did the experiment with were three months old and the elderly mice were 18 months old I just think that's Passed quite it. sweet uh, yeah <laughs> completely decrepit um, but they I mean they did it partly by stitching together their circulatory systems yeah which is an extraordinary idea. And then after the experiment, they, the mice who had been treated, the elderly mice who had been treated, remembered how to find a hidden resting platform in a water maze better than the control okay. group. And this is the maze that they use for mice these days. I don't know if you know this. It's not like the Hampton Court maze anymore. It's basically... <laughs> it's a lot smaller these days. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. way too they, big. No, but they... Um, so the standard mouse test these days is either a T-shape or a Y-shape or it's a tub of milky water with a platform hidden somewhere under the surface. And they put the mouse in, and it has to swim desperately around until it can find the platform. Sounds and then they easy. Well, it remembers it. It sounds easy to you. Much easier than Hampton Court. <laughs> it's much easier than Hampton Court. It's smaller, yeah. 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 Anyway, animals that drink blood. Uh, yeah. A tick can drink 600 times its own body weight in blood in one sitting. Um, and it's so its back blows up to look like a balloon. It's great. Mm. Yeah. There's also a bird that drinks blood. Vampire finches have evolved in the Galapagos Islands because it's quite tough climate out there for them to survive. And they've worked out that they can peck at the backs of other birds, of booby birds, apparently, and they can get bits of blood out of them. But the interesting thing is, is that they don't mind. Yeah, they don't. The booby birds just sit there <laughs> and they're kind of they just mine. <laughs> <laughs> they think that either they don't react because uh, there are a lot of the finches, so they might be swarmed by the finches, so they've worked out that they're going to be killed by them. Right. If they... So they might or, mind intensely. Yeah, I think yeah. they're sitting there hating it. And they're just saying to each other, just leave it, just leave it. <laughs> it's not worth it, Gary. It's not worth it. So this is cool. Um, so while we're on vampire animals, um, yeah. vampire bats, obviously. Well, there's the common vampire bat, then there's the hairy-legged uh, vampire bat and the white-winged vampire bat. And the white-winged one, um, they feed on birds and mammals. Um, Their trick for getting chickens is they will approach a hen and they'll mimic a chick by nuzzling up to her brood patch, which is a bit of skin on her underside, which uh, she uses to transfer heat to the eggs Mm -hmm. uh, as she nests. And the hen sometimes thinks it's her baby cuddling up to her, and so she'll just sit on the bat, um, (laughs) which which then has uh, all-you-can-eat buffet. Because <laughs> um, it's managed to trick the hen into thinking that it's uh, gosh, yeah, yeah. maybe cruel, Isn't that freaky. That yeah. is. Um, bed bugs also drink blood, and young bed bugs are transparent. So the first meal they have turns them red. 
Oh, it's quite cool, isn't it? I really love that image. Oh, Hedlau's mouth parts are transparent as well. So you can see a little vein of blood going Uh. from a scalp into the Hedlau's. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, well, I remember in Australia, Hedlice, you'd always get Hedlice because you were always in the bush and stuff. The school I went to, at least, we are constantly having to have Yeah, we always had Hedlice in school, but that's because of schools and kids, not the bush. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) But yeah, they are quite see-through. Oh, you can see. Yeah, you can see. I remember one falling out of my head once and being like, Whoa, yeah, they were so that's great. A, that's a donation. Yeah. They just blood. walk as well. They don't jump. It's normally children uh, playing, and it has to be one head touching another. So if you have a group photo, obviously they yeah. spread like wildfire. But it's it's. Also, the idea that they prefer clean hair to dirty hair is just they just like hair. Oh, do they? Yeah, they're just like a place where they can grab on some hair and drink some blood. They don't care if it's dirty or right. It sounds like a rumor that was propagated by nine-year-olds, yeah. recalcitrant nine-year-olds. What's weird though is that they just stay exclusively here. They stay in your head hair, whereas pubic louse travel all over the body you can get them in your eyebrows you can get them in your eyelashes but you don't get them in your hair and they're two separate species and they don't actually cross over yeah very odd i've been reading a book it's a book about parasites and it says if you have pubic lice in your eyelashes you've probably done something to deserve that (laughs) (laughs) it's probably been in the bush it that's all our facts thanks so much for listening to our halloween special if you want to get in contact with us about the things we've said in this podcast you can get us all on at qi podcast otherwise you can get us individually on our other twitter handles i'm on at schreiberland andy at andrew hunter m james at egg shaped hannah you can email podcast.qi.com or you can head over to qi.com slash podcast where we have all of our previous episodes up there for you to listen to otherwise we're going to be back again next week uh, with another edition of No Such Thing as a Fish see you then